Oh, Lord, you're good. We thank you for Messiah Yeshua who gives us life and who is our life now and our life yet to come, Lord. We thank you for these words of your righteous servant, Paul, to the people of Philippi. And to us, by extension, as we look at these words, may we, as Paul calls us to, become more like the Messiah because of our time studying today, as we continue to be more like our master, more like our righteous Messiah, Yeshua. And may we learn more about you today and help it to change our lives and help us to be brighter lights for you in this dark world. We thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for all that we have because of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen. So today we'll be looking at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2 of the letter to Philippi, which is the also known as Philippians, one of one of Rav Shul, the Apostle Paul's letter to a Messianic community in, in Philippi. Philippi was is was a city in modern day Greece, the first on the 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 first city on the European continent that Rav Shaul brought the message of Yeshua to. So we'll be looking at that today, and uh, we'll be looking at verses ten through eleven that concludes the Messianic hymn. There's which is the central part of this letter, a hymn specifically about the life, death, and resurrection, and and glorification before all all of the humanity by King Messiah. In essence, it's the it's the life of Yeshua. This is the gospel message. It, within these six verses, we see a humble coming into the world of Yeshua, his life of humility, his death on the Roman cross, his resurrection, ascension, and glorification in the heavenlies, and then his return when all the created order will acknowledge him. So in essence, we see the the full the full good news of the Messiah in these six verses. And interestingly enough, it was it was in the form of a hymn or a song so this is this is one of the earliest messianic jewish songs one of the earliest messianic jewish hymns which i said before over 1900 years before my my beloved rebbe uh stuart dowerman started writing messianic jewish songs and messianic jewish hymns in his time with liberated wailing wall or joel Chernoff in the east coast or others Others of the early people writing, writing the modern Messianic Jewish songs. Over 1900 years before that, there was this hymn that was more likely written in Aramaic in the the Jerusalem Messianic community, and then and then given to uh, and then given into Greek by Rav Shaul when writing this letter to Philippi. So in this we see. One of the earliest parts of Messianic Jewish liturgy, Messianic Jewish praise songs, a f- early Messianic Jewish hymn to Yeshua the Messiah, acknowledging his lordship and kingship over all of creation. So we begin with verses 10. So verses 10 and 11 read that in honor of the name given Yeshua, Every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. We first off see the phrase, every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge. In verses 10 through 11, and 11, we can see an application of Isaiah 45, 23. Isaiah 45, 23 is the passage from the Tanakh that underlies these, these final two verses. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough in, the, in the letter to Philippi, there are no direct quotations from the Tanakh, unlike other letters that Paul wrote. But in the letter to Philippi, which was written to the first majority, large majority Gentile community that, that Paul went to, as we, as we learned earlier, and as you see in the book of, of Acts, in Acts 16, when Paul goes to Philippi, that there wasn't an, enough people to form a synagogue in Philippi. There was just some women who were who were who were either God-fearers or converts to Judaism who had met by the riverside. So there was not a large enough people community to have a minion to actually have a synagogue. So this is one of the first, I would say, primarily first community without the first city that Paul went to that didn't have a synagogue and didn't have have a notable notable Jewish community because as his custom was he would usually in the first two weeks in each new town that he visited specifically going to the synagogue and sharing the message of Yeshua among his Jewish brethren among the people of Israel but to Philippi there was no no uh, established Jewish community but Paul did meet with Lydia and other women who were either converts or or uh, God-fearers who were who were involved in Jewish prayer at the riverside. So, so in this we we see that that Paul, even he was writing to this community that that would not have been have people who were as familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. He rather than giving a direct reference to to a passage from the Tanakh, he gives he gives a a a uh, reference to by reference to in in this verse to to Isaiah 45 23 without making a direct a direct reference but and as is adding an interpretation or possibly even considered a midrash on 45 23 that that brings this passage to life for the people of Philippi and in verse so, so for some context on on Isaiah 45 23 we will look at verses 22 through 25, which reads, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. In the name of myself I have sworn, for my mouth has rightly gone out, a word that will not return, that to me every knee will bow, and every tongue will swear about me, that only in Adonai are justice and strength. All who rage against him will come to him ashamed, but all the descendants of Israel will be find justice and glory in Adonai. I'll read that one more time as we as we look at looking at this concept of Yeshua being the one to to all, which all knees will bow. This passage specifically in the Tanakh in its context, speaking of the one God of Israel, the which which later understand we're going to receive the Father, 
the the uh, the one or is in Daniel 7 language, the ancient of days speaking here. Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. In the name of myself I have sworn, for my mouth has rightly gone out a word that will not return, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear about me, but only in Adonai are justice and strength. All who rage against him will come to him ashamed. But all the descendants of Israel will find justice and glory in Adonai. This passage from Isaiah 45 is, a, is clearly a monotheistic passage where the one God of Israel is speaking to his rulership over all. This clearly, clearly, this is this is the the one God of Israel speaking of his rulership over, over all creation, and that he is the one as the Savior who is the only one who is worthy. Paul applied this passage to Yeshua as an acknowledgement of the Lordship of the Messiah. Paul is expressly teaching the divine nature of the Messiah, and given Paul's belief in the unity of the God of Israel, grounded in the Shema, as we say, Paul, as, as, a, as a Pharisee, as a committed Jew, he, he knew that he could only understand the one true God, in context of the Shema, there was only one God of Israel. So this belief that the Yeshua is also is is the one who who is worthy of this worship and this acknowledgement within the context of the Shema. This belief has been called a binitarian or binitarian monotheism. That there is that this that is not not a pure not a pure monotheism, but a but a binitarian monotheism that there that there is one God, but He has made Himself known in two distinct persons. We have the Father, the Son, and as we as we looked at at yesterday in in Solon's work, he also says that they're not specifically mentioned. In this, in this uh, hymn, the Spirit, the Ruach Kodesh, the third person of the of the one God of Israel, is though unspoken, is there because, as Paul s said to the the, commu the community in Corinth, that only through the Spirit of God, only through the Ruach Kodesh, can one say Yeshua is Lord. So this acknowledgement by all creation of the Lordship of Yeshua can only be done through the Spirit of God, through the Rock Hodesh. So in this we see see the the three persons of the one God of Israel, both the the most specifically the the ancient of days, the Father and the Son Yeshua, the divine Son. And as I said in in the in though unseen in this in this here, there is the Ruach Hodesh, who is the one who empowers us to say Yeshua is Lord. Paul here is expressing the understanding of Yeshua in union with the God of Israel. Given that Isaiah 40, 45 clearly is about the one God of Israel, Paul's use of Isaiah's language in the hymn, referring to Yeshua, makes clear that Yeshua bears the place of cosmic Lord in union with the Father. We read the again, those, those are powerful words. 
Paul's use of Israel's of Isaiah's language in the hymn referring to Yeshua makes clear that Yeshua bears the place of cosmic Lord in union with the Father. Whereas the Greek word kurios can be just a title of respect for a human, such as sir. The implication here is that Paul is making clear that Yeshua is the one God of Israel who became part of the created order. There are those that say that in this reference to Yeshua being Lord, it's just it's just a title of authority, you know, like you know, it would be like king or captain or or general. That there was a there's a title of person, you know, that you know, General Douglas MacArthur, you know, Queen Elizabeth. That there was a title, just a title that 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 they bore. But in this curios, we see that he's referring to Yeshua as Lord, as the one Lord in union with the Father. That Yeshua is not not just bearing it, bearing a title. That curios is not just a title for him, but it is a title that is backed with the the authority of being of being the one God of Israel, who made his, himself known in human flesh. In the words, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. We see an expansion of the rulership of Yeshua beyond Israel and the nations, but to a universal cosmic scale where Yeshua's reign and rulership includes the complete created order and the unseen spiritual world of the heavens and the underworld. So in this Yeshua, the Messiah, the King of Israel, in this in this acknowledgement of him as 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 the the divine lord of of all is the ex expansion of of the the rulership of of yeshua beyond just being the messiah of israel just being the king of israel but in this he is he's acknowledged as the king of the whole created order that he is he is more than just just the the Messiah of Israel, but he is the cosmic Lord, and these are both both important parts to understand that that he that he is first and foremost the King of Israel, but he is also the ruler of the nations. That there are gods or spiritual powers throughout the created order may seem foreign to modern readers, would have been commonplace for those reading the letter in Philippi. It's interesting as it talks about that 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 every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. You know, we're under that in our modern modern understanding, we can understand, you know, those on those on earth and those are in heaven, and then there's an un, those under the earth. But there's but there seems but this this whole understanding of of the you know the whole whole basis of of the spiritual world beyond our understanding is something that is is uncommon to us in our modern world, but it would be common to those in Philippi where there was a, there was a deep understanding of of other gods other spiritual powers throughout the created order, and this this would be be familiar to them as and as we we look at at those that uh, 
at that. We see from uh, Craig Keener, who is a who is a important biblical scholar, who wrote: Greeks worship gods in the heavens, earth, sea, and underworld. Traditional Greek mythology also placed the shadow existence of departed souls in the underworld. Paul announces that whatever categories of beings there are, they must acknowledge Messiah's rule because he is exalted above them. One often bowed the knee in obeisance before a ruler or deity. And let me read that again. Greeks worship gods in the heavens, earth, sea, and underworld. Traditional Greek mythology also placed the shadow existence of departed souls in the underworld. Paul announces that whatever categories of beings there are, they must acknowledge Messiah's role because he is exalted above them. One often bowed the knee in obeisance before the ruler or deity. So whereas, whereas at least here in the Western world, we have we don't really have a concept of of all of you know as as what would have been in the Greek culture of gods of the heavens, the gods of earth, sea, underworld that that whereas we're, you know, as as monotheism has become more more common in our in the Western world, whether whether in Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. But in the Greek world there were gods for all the various various parts of the created order. And in this in this passage, we, we see that that it's it's telling that for those those people who understood all of these gods of the various parts of creation, that everything, both those who are who are humans living on the earth, those who are in who are in the in the in the other world, those who are, who had passed, and all of the, all of the 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 gods of 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 men. All of all of the the unseen spiritual powers. One day, everything that has ever existed, both both physical and spiritual, will acknowledge Yeshua as the sole Lord of all creation. It will be to the one God of Israel and to the person of Yeshua, the Messiah, that everything, both seen and unseen, will acknowledge rulership and lordship. According to the complete Jewish Bible, the three locations of heaven, earth, and under the earth refer to the angelic, human, and demonic realms, respectively. All of all of, of what is known, heaven, earth, and under the earth, that is the angelic world, the 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 uh, those from those from from uh, the heavens. The human world, the demonic realms, those all the evil forces of of uh, creation will acknowledge the messiahship of Yeshua, whether whether with joy as as I look forward to to that day when the, the, our righteousness right returns, which I look forward to with joy to 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 bend the knee and to and to fall face forward before the one who is the Lord of all creation. And those who of the those who of the demonic realm will will do that too, with great great uh, great terror and great great suffering. But whether whether believers in the Messiah Yeshua 
or those who rejected him and lived against him and like the, those in the demonic realm all will one day acknowledge the messiah of yeshua whether whether uh, by by their own own joyful choice or by uh, or by force of the power and glory of yeshua who is our king as we see in the command in the ten commandments to have no other gods as acknowledgement of the sole place of worship to be given to the one god of israel paul radically teaches that Yeshua stands within Israel's monotheistic faith, faith and shares the divine worship that belongs only to the one God of Israel. Let me read that again. Those are powerful words. As we see in the command, in the Ten Commandments, to have no other gods, which is actually the second commandment in the Jewish counting. As we see in the command to have no other gods, as acknowledgement of the sole place of worship to be given to the one God of Israel, Paul radically teaches that Yeshua stands within Israel's monotheistic faith and shares in the divine worship that belongs only to the one God of Israel. Speaking as an observant Jew who is cognizant that worship is reserved only for the one God of Israel, as seen in multiple references on Tanakh, Paul, nevertheless, makes a clear assertion that Yeshua's divine status by referring to every knee bowing to Yeshua at the end of days. Paul, as a committed Jew, as a Pharisee, one of the most stringent followers of, 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 the, of the Torah, understood that only to the one God of Israel, it was worship due. All other up to all, there is no other one that deserved the worship that only went to the one God of Israel. But Paul here, in his reference to that glorious day when all all of creation bends the knee and bows before Yeshua and acknowledges his lordship. Paul nevertheless makes a clear assertion of Yeshua's, Yeshua's divine status by referring to every knee bowing to Yeshua at the end of the days, as we said, that 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 either a binitarian monotheism, or as I said, with the with the uh, the necessity of the Spirit to allow for one to say Yeshua's Lord, there is the the understanding of the triune nature that there is one god who has made himself known as the father yeshua the divine son in the rock of hodesh though it is yeshua who receives the end of days acknowledgement of lordship it is still to the glory of god the father there is a sense of subordination of yeshua to the father there is also clear this of subordination does not preclude the understanding that Paul holds to the unity and equality of Yeshua with the Father, and that is that is the that is uh, what we see in the conclusion to to verse eleven. That the that though is though it is to Yeshua that every knee will bow. Verse eleven says 
to the glory of God the Father. Though Yeshua receives the end of days acknowledgement of lordship, it is still to the glory of God the Father. So this acknowledgement of Yeshua as Lord of all creation does not supplant, does not replace the one God of Israel, but Yeshua as the representative, and Yeshua as the is not that is not here that Yeshua is replacing the Father or the Ancient of Days. He is in his acknowledgement. It still is 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 given over to to the glory of the Father, glory to the one God of Israel. To the so it, this 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 acknowledgement is not a a replacement of Yeshua for for the the uh, the Father for the God of of Israel for the the God of the Tanakh, but it is to the glory of the Father. Ultimately, all of the creative order will acknowledge the Lordship of Yeshua. Both Yeshua followers who bend the knee with great joy, which I look forward to that glorious day, and worship King Messiah, as well as the non-followers, will bow and acknowledge Yeshua's place as King of Kings and Lord of Alls, Lord of Lords, the whether by with great joy or with great sorrow, everything, both, both living and dead, both physical and spiritual, both good and bad, everything will acknowledge Messiah Yeshua as Lord. Some with joy, which I look forward to doing, and some with sadness for those who rejected the Messiah. But Yeshua will be recognized as Lord by all creation, seen and unseen. Both the seen and unseen opponents of Yeshua and his, and his followers, followers, like us who are Messianic Jews, will know and acknowledge Yeshua and vindicate the faith of the followers who have faced persecution from the opponents. That in this acknowledgement by all, by those who accepted Yeshua and those who rejected Yeshua, by the acknowledgement of the Messiahship of Yeshua, by those who rejected Yeshua, the faith of those like us who have devoted our lives to the God of Israel and devoted our lives to the fallen Messiah, our faith will be will be acknowledged and vindicated, that our faith, our suffering for the Messiah will be vindicated by that day that when he is acknowledged as the one who is Lord of all, that for all those who have suffered and those who are suffering and dying for the Messiah today, their faith trust will be vindicated in that those who who persecuted them, those who put them to death, will one day acknowledge the Messiah of Yeshua, that those who have given their lives for the Messiah will be vindicated in that one day, even, even the persecutors will acknowledge Messiahship of Yeshua. And in that, in that, our the faith of those who have suffered for the Messiah will be vindicated, as their faith is acknowledged by all who ever lived and all powers, both seen and unseen. As all the knees of of all all of that has ever been bow with the name given to Yeshua, the full acknowledgement of the Lordship of Yeshua over all creation will be clear. As all 
is all of the, the seen and unseen, living and dead, as they acknowledge the Messiahship of Yeshua, the Lordship of Yeshua will be made clear to everything that has ever existed. Paula Paul Fredrickson, who is who is a a uh, important important Jewish scholar that looks that uh, that uh, is involved in studies of the New Testament, specifically the writings of Paul, and is a is a is a a person that I I've had much much good contact with. She she's she she saw in this verse that the whole created order. Even the dark cosmic powers bending the knees represent their turn to God and Yeshua at the end of days. Though, though we can see the con so so in this, in this, in this here, the Paula Fredrickson sees that in this, in this eventual time that everything bows the knees to to Yeshua, that 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 there will be. A redemption for all, because as all will eventually, eventually acknowledge Yeshua. But we can see as a contrast to this understanding, and this is what I hold to that in the verses of forty-five, Isaiah forty-five, that this which state all the, that all will bow, it is only the faithful who stand justified, while the others are ashamed. So, so Fredrickson here is is, is basically putting forward, forward a universalistic salvation concept that. That in eventually everyone will acknowledge Yeshua as, as Messiah, as Lord of, of all creation, and and will be and will be redeemed. But this contrasts with the with what we see in Isaiah forty five and what we understand that is only those who are faithful who will stand justified. All will acknowledge Yeshua, but only those who in their lives were faithful to him and acknowledged him acknowledged him in their life that they will be able to to bow the knee before him justified and rejoicing they acknowledged the ex the exaltation of yeshua a universal bowing of the knees by the whole of the created order are directly related related to yeshua being faithful to the divine plan because of Yeshua's profound act of humility, accepting death on the Roman stake, all of the created order will bow to him and acknowledge him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Through this faithfulness of Yeshua, leading to his universal acknowledgement of lordship, Paul unites the suffering servant, Isaiah 52 and 53, and the bowing of the knees before the one God of Israel in Isaiah 45, 23, in the person of Yeshua, in this Messianic hymn, and and biblical scholar James Ware wrote, the Christ hymn thus reflects a connected reading of the latter part of Isaiah, in which the eschatological reign of God over all the nations envisioned in chapter in Isaiah forty-five eighteen to twenty-five, is understood as the outcome of the suffering and exaltation. Of the servant in Isaiah 52 13, 53 12, identified with a crucified, risen, and glorified Jesus Christ. So, again, again, what, what Ware is saying here, and I'll read, read through it again because it's a power, powerful connecting 
of what this whole this whole hymn speaks about is a and and he said here again the Christ hymn, or as we call it, the Messianic hymn, thus reflects a connected reading of the latter part of Isaiah, in which the eschatological reign of the God over the nations envisioned Isaiah forty five is understood as the outcome of the suffering and exaltation of the servant in Isaiah fifty two and fifty three identified with a crucified risen and glorified Jesus Christ. So where here is, is is seeing is seeing that that in the messianic hymn, in this hymn, there is a connection between between the 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 eschatological reign over the God over all the nations at the the day when the one God of Israel will be acknowledged by all creation, being tied directly to the servant songs of Isaiah 52 and 53, that with the crucified, risen, and glorified Yeshua, that that the that the suffering and exaltation of the Messiah, which we see in Isaiah 52 53, was necessary so as to lead to the the acknowledgement of the Lordship of Yeshua over all creation. That these two passages are connected together and should be understood. As a as a full package of understanding who Yeshua is, that he is the suffering Messiah, Messiah Ben Yosef, and will one day return as Messiah Ben David, the one, the ruler over all of the created order. In verse eleven, we we it concludes with this phrase: the the phrase Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai. It is in verse 11, 11 that, that the prophetic world, prophetic word about a coming day when all created order, when the whole created order acknowledges the Messiahship and universal worship of Yeshua. Paul stresses the critical place that Yeshua plays as the one to whom the Philippians were to focus on in their worship. In the context of Jewish monotheistic faith, there was only one God, there is only one God to whom reverence was due. And this was the one God of Israel made manifest to Abraham and his descendants. The Greek word kurios or kurios, meaning Lord, which Dr. Stern in the Complete Jewish Bible translated as Adonai, is used over 6,000 times in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, to translate the Tetragrammaton, the unspoken four-letter name of the one God of Israel which is usually written as YHWH or YHVH in Latin characters. The use of this substitute name, Kurios in Greek, or Adonai in Hebrew, is based on Jewish tradition and practice, grounded in the Talmud in Pesachim 50a, which prohibited the pronunciation of the divine name as written in Hebrew. As we said earlier, only by the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, and only on Yom Kippur did he in the Holy of Holies pronounce the, the, the personal name, the unspoken name of the one God of Israel. So so as so as throughout the references in the in the, the Torah and throughout the Hebrew Bible, that rather than than for all those references to the, the, the divine name, 
it is it is red it is red as Adonai a substitute word which means Lord in Hebrew and as I said in in the, the Septuagint the Greek translation they use the word kurios which also means means Lord so so there's a connection between the the, the six thousand times that the personal name of the God of Israel was used in the Tanakh it, it, those who translated into Greek use the word kurios so this gives us a connection understanding of the the Jewish understanding of of the 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 word kurios in reference to the one God of Israel that they that those who translated the rabbis who translated the 72 rabbis who translated the the Septuagint that they used for the the name of of the one God of Israel they use the word kurios as the substitute word for him and we see that this is is a, a way of understanding that this word kurios used in the messianic hymn refers to Yeshua as the one God of Israel Paul's use of kurios in this passage for Yeshua is an affirmation of Yeshua's deity not the most widely used title for the one God of Israel in the Septuagint the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible is now being applied to Yeshua here Paul unites Yeshua with the one God of Israel by declaring that Yeshua is Adonai Yeshua is worthy of this worship because of his place as the bearer of the divine name and his position as Lord it is the Lord and the one God of Israel that Yeshua's due worship and as the proper focus of prayer especially in the context of Paul's monotheism grounded in the Shema that that Yeshua as Kurios as Lord as the bearer of the divine name is is the one to which which worship is due that he as one with the one God of Israel who said the the scriptures make make it clear that that there is that there is a a mysterious unity in in the one God of Israel that there is the the father or or the language of the uh, of Daniel the ancient of days there is the divine son Yeshua the Messiah and there is the Ruach Hodesh one God who has made himself known in the three persons and using Kurios to refer to Yeshua Paul demonstrates what Paula Fredrickson called radical binitarianism a reimagining of Jewish monotheism that allowed for the one God of Israel to include both the Father and Yeshua the divine son this reimagining of the oneness of the God of Israel highlights that at the core of Jewish monotheism is the devotion to the one God that there is only one God in Judaism so in this in this understanding of Yeshua sharing in the divine name that that there is that there is a complexity to Jewish monotheism and to understanding the God of the Shema that there is that there is this complexity which is which is as dr. Stern said that all of God is his glory his majesty his person is so beyond even words that you know that we have to understand that there's so much that that is there that we have to take by faith 
and by a willingness to trust that there's so much beyond what we can actually in our finite human minds understand. But we do know that there is one God and he has made himself known in our world. And Yeshua bears the divine name. Paul teaches that the Father and now Yeshua are bearers of the divine name, showing that there is only one God as they share the one divine name of the God of Israel. In his three-volume systematic theology, Wolfhart Pannenberg wrote about how Yeshua finds place in Jewish monotheism. The title Kurios implies the full deity of the Son. In the Confession of Thomas in John 20, 28, the titles God and Lord are expressed, set along one another. Yet the Son is not Kyrios in competition with the Father, but in honor of the Father. The confession of Jesus Christ is the one and only Kyrios in no way weakens the confession of the one God. The former confession is so related to the latter that all things proceed from the one God, the Father, but all are mediated through the one Kyrios, Yeshua. As the bearer of the divine name, Yeshua takes his place as sovereign over the created universe, as the one to whom all knees bow and vow allegiance. The importance of power for Yeshua's Lord is made clear in his place as the one ruler of all. That, And this is from uh, Odin, a biblical scholar, Odin, that Jesus' Lord means that all alternative pretensions to power are finally reduced to nothingness. That in the acknowledgement of Yeshua as Lord, as his place as Lord, all other rulerships are nullified. There is no, there is no greater authority than the Kurios, who is the one God of Israel in the person of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, the bearer of the divine name. Yeshua is the bearer of the divine name of the one God of Israel. Is not just a God or a Lord, little g and little l. He as the bearer of the divine name reduces all other authorities, whether the gods and nations or any worldly rulers to nothingness. His authority, his rulership is ultimate. All other authorities, all other uh, other gods of other nations, of other other things that are worshipped, other things that are acknowledged. In this time, Emperor Nero, their rulerships are meaningless and reduced to nothingness under the, the fact that Yeshua is Lord over everything that has ever existed, both seen and unseen. In the affirmation of Yeshua as the sole ruler of the cosmos, and only one who is worthy to receive worship in the bidding of the knees, either voluntarily for followers of Yeshua or involuntarily for those who are not followers of Yeshua, either way it will be Yeshua the Messiah of Israel that the whole created order worships as Lord of Lords, or in Greek, Kurios Kurion, the only one allegiance, reverence, and adoration is due. Not only is Yeshua declared as deity, the one God of Israel that came into the world, Yeshua is also acknowledged as the sovereign ruler of all. He is the sole God who is Lord of all, to whom all the created order owes allegiance. Not only is Paul making a profound religious declaration, as we said before, acknowledging Yeshua the Messiah is bearing the name of the one God of Israel, 
Results, which is an especially profound statement for an observant Jew to acknowledge that the one God of Israel can include Yeshua the Messiah. But in the light of the Roman world of his time, Paul here makes an intense and dangerous political statement. Paul contrasted his call to allegiance to the true Lord Yeshua to the false Lord Nero and emphasized to the Philippians the cost of their faith in Yeshua. So not only, as we said before, that the knowledge of Yeshua's Lord was also a profound religious statement for Paul, an observant Jew, to acknowledge Yeshua as being one with the God of Israel, and for the Philippians coming from, from pagan backgrounds, from the worship of the Greek gods, the Roman gods, and Egyptian gods, to acknowledge only Yeshua's Lord and to reject their, their previous faith. It was also a, a profound political statement as they were saying Yeshua's Lord and Nero is not Lord, that there was a, a communal, communal, civil, civil uh, price for what they were doing in rejecting the emperor's Lord. What is easily lost in focusing on Yeshua's exaltation worship as cosmic Lord is the acknowledgement of his place as the Jewish Messiah. Much of Christian theology focuses solely on Yeshua as the cosmic Lord of the universe and savior of the now multinational people of God. With recognition of his role as Jewish Messiah and savior of the Jewish people, mainly relegated to apologetic and evangelical purpose, evangelistic purposes. For example, citing Yeshua as the culmination and fulfillment of the Tanakh's Messianic prophecies. Sometimes Yeshua is stripped of his Jewish connection altogether, but Yeshua's place as the Jewish Messiah is intrinsic to his role as the cosmic Lord of all. Yeshua's most basic claim to being the cosmic Lord, the one to bear the name of the one God of Israel, is grounded in him first and foremost being the Messiah of Israel. As Rabbi Sam Nadler, which I worked with, actually worked under at Chosen People Ministries many years ago, and a friend wrote, the new covenant presents Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. If he is not the Jewish Messiah, then no one should believe in him because his credentials to be the savior of the world is based solely on credentials as the Messiah of Israel. Let me read that again. Those are powerful words that Rabbi Nadler wrote. The new covenant presents Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, then no one should believe in him because the credentials to be the savior of the world, the one to all knees will bow, the bearer of the divine name, is based solely on his credentials as the Messiah of Israel. So if Yeshua is not the Messiah of Israel, he can't be the cosmic savior of the world. So his understanding of his role as the Jewish Messiah, as the savior of the Jewish people, without that, he can't be the cosmic savior. So, so they can't, accept, can't separate Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, from Yeshua, the savior of the world. Yeshua is form, first and foremost the Messiah of Israel, the one to fulfill all the Messianic prophecies and hopes of the Jewish people. The starting point of Yeshua. The starting point of Yeshua's place as the Lord of all comes from his being the fulfillment of David's promise of an eternal heir to his throne. In fact, the greatest heir and final Davidic king. 
As Messiah, the King and Savior of the Jewish people, Yeshua has the sole right to be the cosmic Lord over the whole of the created order, both seen and unseen. The right to rulership by Yeshua is grounded in the role fulfilling the promise made to Abraham. Yeshua's right to be the cosmic Lord, the bearer of the divine name, the one to which everything both seen and unseen will bow, is grounded in him first and foremost, being the one to fulfill the promise to Abraham and the promise to the Jewish people. The Abraham, uh, Abrahamic promise in turn will be fulfilled the promise to David of an eternal Davidic king who will ultimately reign over Jew and Gentile. In Romans 9, 4 through 5, Paul asserted God's plan in cultivating and loving the Jewish people throughout through whom he would bring the promise and reality of the Jewish Messiah. And he writes, the people of Israel, they were made God's children. The Shekinah, the glory of God has been with them. The covenants are there. Likewise, the giving of the Torah, the temple service and the promises. The patriarchs are there. And from them, as far as his physical descent is concerned, came the one, the Messiah, who is over all. Praise be unto I forever. Amen. The starting point for Yeshua to be the Savior of the cosmos and the cosmic Lord of the nations begins first with his prophetical, prophetic fulfillment of the promises made to the Jewish people. God's love for the world that he created was extended out from Israel to the nations of the world. Paul further put forward that the ultimate fulfillment was Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, the bearer and initiator of the good news, which we see earlier in Paul's letter to Rome, where he spoke of the Jewish priority of the good news and extension to the Gentile world. In Romans 1.16, we read, the good news is God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting, to the Jewish especially, but equally to the Gentile. Biblical scholar John Walverd helps to clarify the role of Yeshua in God's redemption and divine rulership when he wrote, from the standpoint of God's divine election, Israel is the key, and through Israel, God was to fulfill his purposes, whether redemptive, political, or eschatological. The promise to the nations comes solely through the Jewish Messiah. God the Father grants Yeshua the divine name when he's declared to be Adonai, the Lord of all. Yeshua does not displace the Father, but now shares with him in the divine name. The worship and praise we offer to Yeshua's Lord is for the glory of God the Father. Rather than taking the place of God the Father, in this closing line to the hymn, we see the acknowledgement that Yeshua receives the honor due only to the one God of Israel, as he's the one, as he is one with the Father. This place of Yeshua is from the Father, and not something taken by Yeshua in a cosmic coup or replacement of the God of the Tanakh. In this acknowledgement of the Lordship of Yeshua, he doesn't replace the the Father, doesn't replace the the God of Israel revealed revealed in, in the Hebrew scriptures, but he has granted this place by and to the glory of the Father. The exaltation of Yeshua by the Father is related to the vision of Daniel 7. 
In verse 9, we see that the, there are two thrones, one for the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and one for the Son of Man, Yeshua the Messiah. And later in verse 13 and 14, the Ancient of Days grants eternal universal rulership to the Son of Man. In line with the exaltation of Yeshua by the Father, we read about here in Philippians. So in these two powerful verses that conclude the Messianic hymn, we see this, the, this, the eventual coming soon return of Yeshua the Messiah to take his place as the cosmic Lord, as the one to be acknowledged by all, both those who do it, like those of us who follow our followers of Yeshua, those of us who are Messianic Jews, who will, will with great joy bend the knee and, and, and bow before our righteous Messiah, who is, who is our life now and our life forever. And those who will bow in sorrow, knowing that they, they rejected the one who gave his life for them. Some with joy, many with sorrow, but we will see Yeshua acknowledge us at, to his place as one with the God of Israel and the one to which is to be worshipped. And just as we close, I want to read those, those, those two verses again that we looked at today, verse 10 and 11 of chapter, of chapter uh, 2 of Philippians, that read, that in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. So that will conclude our look at the, the Messianic hymn. We'll conclude our look at these final two verses, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2. And uh, we will be continuing on with, uh, with Philippians chapter 2, 12 tomorrow. And uh, thank you, everyone, especially for those who, who have stayed around for the whole hour of our our class day, we did a double, a double class, usually do about 30 minutes, but being that, that, that verse 10 and 11 are pretty much connected in thought, I wanted to go through them all together today. So thank you for watching. This is Letter to Philippi Live, a uh, initiative of Letter to Philippi Incorporated, lettertophilippi.org, a new Messianic Jewish theological and biblical studies organization. And we seek to build a 21st century messianic jewish theology grounded in the in the scriptures of israel grounded in jewish thought and and reflected reflecting from the the current academic studies on on the new testament on on uh, the uh, paul within judaism thought as we look at all all that is available to establish a clear understanding of Messianic Jewish faith for the 21st century that is honoring Torah, honoring Messiah Yeshua, and being an example of Jewish life lived following Yeshua, following Torah, and being faithful to our place as Jews, as Messianic Jews, and for those from the nations who have come to join along with us. And uh, again, you can find out more about lettertophilippi.org, the letter to Philippi, going to lettertophilippi.org. You'll find on the teaching section all of our previous, previous video and audio recordings. 
and we'll eventually be setting up the podcast of those. And uh, you can also, as we said so many times, leave a prayer request. I want to be praying for those people who are watching our broadcast. And as we said, we'll, as we will see in chapter four, verse six of Philippians, we show our true dependence on God by bringing everything into, to him in prayer. And for those who would like to support the work of, of, uh, of Letter to Philippi, there's a donation link there. And as I said, we'll be adding more materials Beginning doing starting the Messianic and Jewish book reviews soon, where we'll be going through books and academic books and that look at issues that are relative to Messianic and Jewish theology. And uh, we will be starting that that soon. Now that we've uh, we're starting to get the the uh, the daily video down. After this is what three weeks now that we've been doing this. So appreciate everyone who who's watched today and those who will be watching the, the recording on, on uh, online. And also if you have any questions or would like to contact us, just go to letter to philippi.org and there's a contact, a contact page you can fill out and if you want any information. And uh, I'll just uh, close today with a, with a brief word of prayer and we'll, Go on and get ready for Shabbat. Oh Lord, you are good. We thank you for these words by your holy servant, Paul. Make them to, to impact our lives, Lord, and help us to, to become more like our righteous Messiah each day, Lord. Help us to acknowledge you as our Lord and our King and our Master now, and help us to be ready, Lord, to, to bend the knee and to bow in, in great joy to you when you come to return to us, our righteous King. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Shabbat that is soon coming within within a matter of hours, Lord. And for those who are in, in Jerusalem, they are already there in the Shabbat. And we will, we will here in America, will soon be, be entering into the Shabbat later today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the Messiah. We thank you for your Torah which is our way of life. And we thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to study your word, to hear from your, your holy servant, Paul. May we all have a blessed Shabbat and help us to honor you each day, Lord. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this opportunity to use tech technology for good and for your glory. We pray this in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names, our righteous Messiah. Amen. So early Shabbat Shalom for those who are yet to enter Shabbat. As I said, our our, our friends in, in Jerusalem are already there in, in the Shabbat because they are already already uh, 10 hours ahead of us. For those of us in the States, we still have, have about seven hours here in, in California. So thank you for watching, and we will be back on... On Monday to look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 as we continue uh, learning from from Rav Shaul and his letter to Philippi and once again for more information just go to letter to philippi.org and uh, that will conclude our time today we went we did a double a double class today because I wanted to to cover both those verses which really tied together and now we'll continue on with uh, 
verse 12 on of chapter 2 on Monday. So thank you for watching. Shabbat Shalom. And uh, we will conclude for today. Thank you for watching.